0: I was reflecting on what to talk about uh, this morning when I decided I was healthy enough to speak. And I reflected on the recent retreat I did in New Zealand and recalled what it takes to go into retreat, even after nearly 30 years. It's a tremendous, almost unspeakable, uh, energy that gets us here and sustain sustains us uh, and yet it's really a composition of qualities that gets us here and sustains us so I recounted this week past retreat and uh, the last time I had a, a long sustained period of practice of five months uh, in Burma about five years ago and I re- And I remembered four gifts, four sterling qualities uh, that the Buddha said supports practice in general, intensive practice in general, and mindfulness in particular. I'd like to talk about those qualities tonight. They are confidence, courage, acceptance, and renunciation. It's, it's, our, it's our love of truth, I think, our dhamma, that brings us here. So the, a foundation of metta, our metta karuna, love and compassion, on some level, known or unknown, uh, that gets us here. And, and this love of truth, this love of truth, uh, becomes our discipline, really. We become disciples of metta karuna. Once we get here, uh, we need these other supports, these sustaining qualities uh, to help create the container for for mindfulness to come forward, this pure quality of awareness to come forward and do its work of protecting the mind and seeing the nature of things as they are. Starting with uh, this this quality of uh, confidence, the Pali word is sadda, sadda, meaning faith, or um, conviction, trust, devotion, a, a whole, a cluster, really, a cluster of concepts that uh, are and, uh, and often better left in the Pali word uh, and your direct experience of it. So sadda is the word I'll, I'll use mostly. Uh, But think of all these qualities of um, confidence, trust, conviction. I remember uh, ordaining in Burma uh, under Mahasi Sayadaw and then going for my practice instruction under Upandita Sayadaw. One of the very first things he said was that all of meditation practice, all of spiritual life, is the awakening and the strengthening of faith. Why is that? Why is there a spiritual quality of such great power? I have found that, uh, that practice really begins to come alive with this quality, with this faith mind. When there's a certain um, rolling along of, of confidence in what i'm doing even if i don't quite yet understand it and the early stages of faith in fact are called innocent faith tender faith you know not quite uh, engaged confirmed by uh, repeated experience but just enough to keep keep alive and keep going it's what sustains our uh, our moment to moment day to day practice the, keeps the mind in the present moment. I think Joseph mentioned last night the two qualities of connecting and sustaining. We taka we chara. That second quality, the sustaining, uh, you know, likened to the reverberation of the bell once it's struck. Those waves of energy, of sound. They they are um, They are like the mind that's immersing in the moment's experience, immersing. And the longer the mind immerses, the more this quality of of trust, conviction, uh, confidence in seeing exactly what's happening and sustaining this moment-to-moment mindfulness, awareness. That vichara, that sustaining factor, has the seed of faith. In fact, what it does is overcome doubt. The opposite of faith. This sustaining quality, this mind that immerses in the breath, in body sensation, in sound, in the nature of thought, in the nature of mind. The seed of faith is there. A second thing that the Sayadaw Upandita said to me in the early uh, period, the first weeks Of practice as a monk was your only task is to be in the present moment I'll take care of everything else it was such a relief (laughs) as we know it's not so easy but to know that there's only one thing that we need really need to uh, put our energy toward our faith our confidence just again and again, being in the present moment and letting the container, the teachers, the staff, letting everything else being, be taken care of really helps to begin to set aside all of our mental constructs, set aside the narrative, our minds. When we focus on the breath, for example, that immersing, uh, immersing mind. Again and again, get lost, we come back, get lost, come back again. But at, at some point, there is that feeling of awareness arising from within the breath, not from the head. That's when we have successfully set aside, our mindfulness has done this, set aside the narrative, the mental constructs. And through the the, uh, the force of connecting and sustaining mindfulness just appears from within the abdomen or from within this stream of sensations at the nostrils or in walking meditation you're going along back and forth looking around mind spacing out get back again focus on the leg now all of a sudden maybe halfway through a walking period something clicks you feel the, mind kind of dropping in and there's a lifting and it's as if the awareness is within that lifting leg not from the brain and it's felt from within you feel the sensations of pushing pressure vibration stretching tightening lowering contact right where it's happening and no sense of separation it's this immersing, immersing aspect of faith in the moment. And it inc- increases overall our confidence, connection to practice. Clarity is a, a fruit of, pra- of uh, this faith mind. What happens is uh, likened to uh, the water-clearing gem. You put these gems in a pond, Of muddy water and within short time it just removes all the sediment, removes the obstructing uh, components to it and this pond becomes clear. That's the effect of faith as it grows in the mind stream. Everything begins to come clear, the breath, the body, mind, all quite luminous. That's how mindfulness begins to notice certain characteristics You know like the pushing element which is air element awareness in the breath for example and you just feel pushing you're not feeling breath you just feel a little pushing vibrations at the nostrils not breath the idea of breath gives way that kind of luminosity that kind of clarity that's the effect of faith in the mind Entering into is also a description of this quality of saddha. Entering into, mentioned on the opening night, uh, entering into this sacred space. in the the large sense of entering into the journey of a six-week or three-month retreat, setting aside uh, all worldly concerns. It, It also has... Really, a lot of vast implications here. It means to enter into a life of spiritual practice, whether within retreat or without, retreat and out of retreat. The um, the um, spiritual leader of Burma and the democracy leader Aung San Suu Kyi, when she returned to her country when her mother was dying 12 years ago. She had no idea that she was just that she was going for a lot more than seeing her mother through her transition out of this life she stepped into or entered into uh, the destiny she's been living the last 12 years being her father's daughter who was the, the liberator of Burma from colonialism in the late 40s and then was assassinated. She never really knew him. She was only two. And coming back in at a time where all the conditions were right, she she, uh, carried within her the culture and consciousness of her country of birth. And she had uh, led a very spiritual life uh, and was grounded particularly in the Brahma Viharas. Mm -hmm. The theravada bodhicitta of love compassion empathetic joy equanimity and that has become her standard She's, she has um, you know she had to renounce uh, her former life and being able to be with her beloved family husband two sons just entering adolescence she gave that up to be a, a symbolic Symbol the um, uh, the hope of freedom from fear for 50 million people. So taking on an uh, an actual and symbolic role of freedom. So she, even though she's had the chance and been encouraged to leave the country, she know she knew that if she did, she would not be allowed back in. So that kind of conviction, that kind of um, Power of entering into, going forward. This is also a description of this faith mind. Classically, to enter into is to cross the, the flood. Cross the flood of all the obstructing forces of grasping in the mind. Grasping to pleasures and views. Grasping to the idea of self. So to cross the flood is to have this power of faith in starting to walk over these waters. It has the has a a quality of resolve hidden in it as well. When we enter into, we're also leaving behind so that we open up to really a mystery, an unknown. We don't know what's going to happen. Translating down to our moment to moment practice, we can be prepared. We can connect and sustain the awareness and be with the lifting leg, but we have no idea really what's going to happen. And so as the power of mindfulness begins to cut through the boredom and restlessness and distractions, that mystery, that that power, that quality of awe begin to open up. You know, without it, there's little possibility for real awakening with that sense of unknown, of mystery. There's every possibility of awakening. In the middle of a lifting movement, the whole nature of mind and body can be revealed. Tranquilizing is also a quality of sadda. It makes the mind cool. Calm, quiet, deep sense of ease. And therefore, those who have a, a predispos- predisposition to faith find that their minds get concentrated very quickly. When we feel that ease of being, the mind becomes happy, not being uh, distracted very much, or easily comes back to this sense of center. <laughs> sense of tranquil calm and the happy mind very easily moves into a concentrated mind. Concentration is that st- stabilization, that stability of mind that is just with the moment and each moment's experience. Quite protected then it becomes this concentration or samadhi uh, becomes the container uh, within which there's only awareness and what's happening, keeping the hindrances uh, at bay. And uh, when they come in, they're very easily absorbed and let go of. Once, once we have this um, calm, tranquil nature of Sada, things begin to be very clear, luminous. The, uh, the gem that stills the waters that are muddy and that capacity to enter into. And we begin to really see the nature of things as they are. And it moves from the tender or innocent faith into a mature Confirmed faith. And that's based on very direct experience. Seen again and again. Whatever you have heard or read or experienced previously comes alive again in the moment when we're seeing just the elements of, of experience and the awareness of them each moment. When we're seeing the interrelated nature of mind and body. When we're seeing and understanding all the fields of experience the visual field, the auditory field, the sensate field, and the field of mind itself, and understanding it the nature of emptiness or touching the unconditioned that brings faith to its full maturity called unshakable faith. So, faith it's, itself, we could say, is the love. Of Dhamma, love of truth, realized faith is the is the very direct experience of Dhamma. You can felt right here in a moment, in the rising falling experience of breath in the abdomen, or the flow of sensations at the nostrils, you can be experienced in the moment of watching thought. Once that happens, a major shift happens, uh, where the idea of we need to get rid of thoughts is replaced. Thoughts themselves are Dhamma, things to understand their nature, things to be understood. Because in, in a single moment we can see the transparency of a thought, and that it has certain conditions that allowed it to appear, have a certain texture for a effervescent moment, and disappears. And seeing all of that is touching truth. We, and we let go of the idea that thoughts are to be gotten rid of. Or we may notice uh, a truth in a different direction. There may be just sounds appearing and we're aware of the purity of sound. At the same time there's this sort of background association and the mind feels tempted to go to those associations that define the sound or memories arising from the sound. Still we just stick with it incline the mind to pure sound vibration, a deep understanding appears in spite of that background of, of noise, of the narrative. Those are important little insights that fortify and strengthen the faith in the mind. It gives us the confidence we don't need to get rid of thoughts. Thoughts, too, are elements. They're sensations, sensations of mind just like sounds, just like body sensations, to be known, to be understood. Ultimately, what we have faith in is ourselves. But the Dhamma is within us. We are Dhamma. We learn to trust in ourselves and our ability to lean back into the truth. To see the truth. Faith, I like to regard as the unfurling of the heart, the opening, the spreading to to the awesome mystery of experience, of being. What is this body? What is this mind? What is this life? What is other? Faith opens the heart, unfurls the heart to the mystery of things. A quality that takes tender or innocent faith to the experiential or mature faith is courage. The second of these gifts, the Pali word is viria, and you may have heard us translate it in different ways. Uh, Energy is its essential translation, but a special energy, a courageous energy strength of heart upandita defined it it's a the, the spirit of venturing forth into the unknown and staying with it so it's a pure or noble dhamma energy that has very clear intention to it very clear dhamma intention we we set up where we're aiming this energy. We're aiming it overall to the truth. We aim it in the moment to whatever the experience is, if we're using an anchor to our breath or to a predominant uh, experience, sound, sensation, thought, emotion. Or we anchor it in awareness itself, seeing whatever appears through any of the sense doors. That's how energy translates down to, in a very practical way, our moment-to-moment practice. How do I understand? How does this um, quality of virya help my practice? I asked myself, considering the retreat I just did in past retreats. Energy has been one of the most, actually both faith and energy are, have been quite strong for me in retreat context, I I really get into this mode of the mystery of things. So it gets, I get really excited. Sometimes it really needs to be tempered because like I love the middle of the night. You know, often I go sleep for a few hours after uh, the late night time and then like wake up at midnight or one o'clock and it's pretty empty. A few other people would be around in the in the monastery hall are nobody. Uh, and I just go outside sometimes, do some walking, look up at the stars, look up at the sky, and I just consider for a moment what my life might have been had I been home and what my friends or family, loved ones, other people are doing in Honolulu or, uh, you know, some other city or country around the world, what most people are doing. How we occupy our lives all the time and it would just fill me with this uh, real inspiration to make really good use of the time and i just feel this energy begin to form up so that my, my teacher explained and this is in the text of the buddha three different stages of energy that come one is initial energy or it could be called launching energy where um it's like hammering the dross out of the gold or silver it sort of hammer away each time we sit two or three seconds with the breath mind is gone come back again one or two more breaths mind is gone come back again pain in the back feel those sensations of burning or tension tightness feel get caught in the aversion try to move and get in a better position and jockey around here and that get lost in fantasy for a long time Come back again. Find the anchor. Try to re-realize that sense of awareness arising from within the experience, within the abdomen, within the stream, with the nostril, within the burning in the back. So it's that that resolve, that energy, that virya, that courage to keep coming back, just keep going at it, keep hammering away, and pretty soon when we start to get some tranquility, some calm, some stabilizing power of mind. And it turns into this uh, persevering energy, a little more self-sustaining. That is where we seem to get exhausted before and get caught between the striving and letting go altogether and spacing out. Now it seemed to get a little more... Uh, Streamlined, a little bit of energy seemed to bring back some energy. So the persevering energy helped us help sustain through the ebbs and flows. So maybe after uh, the first few days of of the um, um, initial or launching energy for my retreat in New Zealand, you know, my, I began to wake up a little earlier. I didn't use a clock an alarm uh, but when I looked at the time it began to be around you know four in the morning instead of six or something and I felt a little brighter a little bit of energy and I'd start to feel the results of it and put that little energy forward try to keep it with an anchor for a while or at least keep it you know more or less with immediate experience and not so much in the thoughts about immediate experience, it's not, not so lost in the narrative, and also when it started to become quite easy and pleasurable, this persevering energy is equally important. Not even, not just to get through the difficulty. There are places where we get seduced. This feels good. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to work with this one. It's a good sensation. How do I get that back? Let's see. The last sitting, I sat kind of like this. Maybe my leg was this way. And you know. And we try to re-get the same experience. Persevering means the, the, the courage to stay just with what's happening. And not needing it to be different. Then it moves into... Uh, periods and growing periods, more frequent periods of accomplished energy. This is totally self-sustaining. No effort. No sense of needing to do anything. The mind just naturally inclines wherever we want it. Just the choiceless awareness of whatever is appearing or we can direct it, get really refined, see uh, the amplification of detail in the breath or sensation you can lock into a particular element like the pushing air element and see it in a small area and then see it expand over the whole body or the, um, or the uh, uh, heaviness or lightness of earth element, find that in one area and then see it expand over the whole body. This is when, when you feel this energy, you feel completely carried by practice and not by will volition is just automatic you don't feel that have to come back again it's just going those periods increase you get little periods you know infrequently in the first days or weeks but then they increase just by the stabilization and the growing of the faith so the courage takes us from the innocence of faith which can actually become blind faith because it's not particularly based on seeing The harsh realities of things you know it's that uh, that bright mind from initial meditative success but it's not really necessarily going into the dukkha hasn't found that it's persevering feat that allows one to stay and just be with the with the pain of life pain of sensations appearing or disappearing not even not even the particularly apparent pain that hurts, but just the dukkha nature of things, because they're so ephemeral, they're so independable. They're not there that we can uh, get a, sen- a secure sense of life or ourselves. That kind of courage, bringing uh, faith to that degree of experience, where we're really, when the mind is really deeply immersed in the nature of things. launching persevering <clears throat> accomplished energy and one last image with that I'll leave you with that. years ago I, I surf big waves in Hawaii big surf uh, big as this building and, uh, and I would go out with a fraternity of friends. You know, it was, it was kind of an unspoken group of people. You know, when they get that big, there's not too many people out there surfing. And so very little words would be spoken. But at the same time, everyone's watching out for everyone else. And kind of aware of things and looking at the horizon Because way on the edge of the horizon you can see little bumps you know when these big waves are going to come as they get closer they're either these big green walls or they're deep blue or they're black and they're black when they're really big and that's when no one says a word and you just get in your position or if you don't feel if you don't have it, you know, uh, this quality of noble energy, same in practice means, you know, when not to go, it's not a foolish energy, the same because at this point, at the point of accomplished energy, it's like it's taken the faith to the mature experiential faith. You you do things based on wisdom. So there's a wisdom in the water with people who have grown up and, and know the water know the way as well they're so out there and only when you really feel it that you it's whatever all the things are in order within and it's really a mental thing down to the heart and uh, and you wouldn't be out there if your body wasn't in shape so this one of these big black mountains comes and and then it's a, a, a timing sequence you know the initial paddling it's like that launching energy And the persevering is you have to pick up because these are big waves and they have little, little waves on them. They're so big, they're kind of coming up at you from cross currents or wind so forth. So you have to paddle through those. Uh, And then once you feel the gravity of the wave, you don't need to paddle at all anymore. In fact, if you do, you're in trouble and that's when you stand up and just go with the flow. Go with the flow and just pay attention. Be real close attention and be carried by the wave. It's very much like that in in practice. And sometimes it's more like the little white waterways or the little green ones. uh, But sometimes they're the more dark blue or real big black ones. You know, real big pain in the body or emotion or mind. It's the same kind of courage though. We know when to back off and when to be with it, when we can actually be with it. So being with it means it's just like riding with it in the moment. Letting it come up and every moment is like a wave, really. That moment's experience, whether it's physical, mental, uh, it's that moment's wave that we're poising ourselves to be with. If we can't be with it, just let go, that's going to pass anyway. No matter what's happening, they are all just waves in the moment. Sometimes it's a real long set and they keep coming. Mm -hmm. But it's only one wave at a time. Just remember that. It would be really useful to you. Both for when you're up for playing your edge, stretching, and when you know it's time to pull back. Mm -hmm. Using that wisdom. Sada. The faith or confidence, conviction, trust, devotion to truth, love of truth. Um, the weary of courageous energy, strength of heart, the, the various levels of it or stages of it, initial, persevering, accomplished. The third gift is um, patience. The word Kanti also means a deep acceptance. Acceptance of things as they are, whether they're desirable or undesirable, in the moment. Acceptance, opposite of resistance, fear of experience. Patience, acceptance. First days of any retreat, no matter how long we've sat, it's difficulty getting in just shedding our old skin mental constructs images of ourself, our expectations and being being patient with those difficulties being allowing of them it means in in the in the first days they're pretty obvious physical discomforts and uh, settling into the situation uh, that might be new or different from what we've had you know letting go of our old comfort zones where we sleep and how we sleep and the food and uh, the community that we're getting to know. In, In short order, there'll be a real feeling of intimacy of this community. But now it's like, you know, distant cousins getting to know each other for the first time. And we actually get to know each other on a level of intimacy that would not be possible were we to be right now engaging in conversations getting to let know each other on a level of intimacy that grows completely out of silent awareness, really on the energetic level of experience, the interrelated web that we are. So Kanti is a, is a wide mind or heart that uh, is like the ocean that's able to, to completely surround an island of anger or burning, or fear. Any kind of pain or difficulty. Patience is that that creates a huge space of coolness around it. Acceptance of things as they are. Patience is the willingness to get to the truth through the doorway of dukkha, of difficulty. We often come with the with some sense, even though maybe intellectually we have a good dharmic understanding, still some sense while I'm of using our meditation in some way to avoid pain, sidestep it, you know, or pulverize it or something, not deal with it. But the real freedom comes in going into it. So it's stepping right into the, the Buddhist Four Noble Truths. All four of them. It's not just going in for the dukkha. If we really open up, if we really have that wide mind and patience when we are able to, and open up even on the smallest little uh, micro level of of a nagging pain, pressure, burning, tension, tightness, we we really level off the mind on, on that, go into it, let that awareness arise from within it, not from the narrative mind, feel it from within just as it is. All four noble truths become apparent. You know, the, the discomfort of it uh, and the cause really of that discomfort, the attachment or not seeing it clearly. The liberation from that discomfort, liberation of mind and that discomfort, and the way to it. Essentially being mindful of it. All the great teachings of the Buddha, 45 years of ministry, distilled down to those four noble truths, distilled down just to a moment of mindfulness. When we allow ourselves, when we have that wideness of mind, acceptance, patience, just to feel what seems like something that's, oh, this is just a little physical our emotional hindrance that'll go away in a few days practice or a few weeks. And rather than seeing these things as obstacles to be gotten rid of, I mean the real obstacle is our view of experience, not the experience. The experience itself is the liberation. When we have these, these qualities, the sustaining conviction of faith, courage of energy, acceptance of patience because that's how mindfulness gets in remember these are supports of mindfulness when we come to a retreat like this it's like entering into a greenhouse you know and uh, w- when you grow things in a greenhouse everything is intemp- intensified the the, the Sun this effect is amplified the heat grows you give more water when we come into a retreat like this it's an amplification of experience. We're bringing forth qualities we have every day, but they're all and amplified, and they're all focused toward one thing: touching Dhamma, touching truth. So it's a, with with gratitude and respect, you know, and grace that we begin to understand the effects of of patience. The Buddha said, for, "It didn't say uh, this for nothing." He said. Patience is the path to nibbana. It balances striving, is one of the reasons. We become too hooked to the goal, and our, our, really our whole energy is leaning into the next moment or becomes contracted. And we become too focused on goal. Goal is good for inspiration, but it's not good for being in the moment. There has to be a balance between understanding the big picture of liberation and going toward it, but the patience to find a stride. What really happens somewhere between that persevering energy and the accomplished energy is a very natural, innate rhythm comes forward, not an invention of our own. It's a, it's, it's a dharma pace that each of us has according to our unique natures. The patience provides the spaciousness for that stride to begin to come forward in some day's time or week or two. It starts to come out. <clears throat> so Kanti is Fearlessness. Pleasant or unpleasant. Fearlessness in the face of pleasant or unpleasant. Reconnects us with our commitment to the love of truth. The fourth support, the fourth uh, quality, our attitude, overall our practice that connects mindfulness to all that we do, supports mindfulness, is the renunciation Nekama in the Buddhist Pali language it means really letting go. It means to set aside self centeredness, set aside our agendas. What's being renounced are distractions, that which distracts us from our love of Dhamma, of truth. That's what it is. What it's meant uh, for me is a uh, I really take joy in, um, you know, in the power of limitation. Setting limits, setting limits is, is the power of form. And it's it's possible to discover truth. Buddhas do it. Buddhas do it uh, without tradition, without having form. But the Buddhas are pretty rare in this world. And it, it is their nature to come around when they're most needed, when the liberating aspects of Dhamma have been lost. there might only be understandings of karma you know that help us um, lead good lives while we're in samsara. But for complete liberation, we do need the dispensation of fully enlightened beings and so Buddhas come and self-liberate to teach that. and it's not that others don't. Uh, self-liberate at times. I'm sure that that happens, but not a lot. So, so mostly there's a there's a great power in limitation, in the setting of limits, and in uh, the reduced circumstances of, of uh, like a retreat. Here we're all practicing like monastics. You know, when I was wearing robes, to, to remove the identity is powerful. Shave the head, remove the clothes, put on the robes. You look alike, you don't use a mirror except when you're shaving. Uh, your requisites are simple, it's what you need for medicine, for food, for warmth, for shelter. It's pretty simple. When I'm in the cabin in, in, uh, in New Zealand, uh, not wearing robes, but it has that same quality of, of, of the reduction of distraction. Setting lemons, really simple. You know, it was winter down there. I mean, everything is opposite down. There's a different season. It's a different hemisphere, <laughs> different zone. So a little bit of wood every day, to to dispel the chill in the morning and the evening, and uh, simple food for the morning and noon meal. A uh, few days of kind of the discomfort of the life of relative ease, you know, of being at home or being at other places, and then this this. Extraordinary um, poetry or music comes from those reduced circumstances. When you think of form as reduced circumstances, when I think of it, and I think of the the rhyme and meter of poetry or or music, you know, what makes the most beautiful music or poetry or or, um, art, any art, you know, athletic beauty. Is, is the discipline of it. You know, the, the reducing it down to just the elements necessary for it. This is what nekama is. This is what we mean when we talk about renunciation. Dropping the expectations, dropping the agendas, dropping the need to control experience, dropping our, our strong attachments even for liberation. There's a healthy connection to the goal of liberation, and there are unhealthy attachments to that goal or strivings in that way. Nekama, a real renunciation, is an energy of generosity. It feels, um, doesn't feel diminishing, doesn't feel like we've let go of something essential to ourselves. It feels in fact enlarging, it feels more fulfilling, of a sense of ourselves because it opens up the full field of connection with all beings, with all life. That's this quality. It opens up the mystery, the possibility. So this simplicity, we're to distill it down to one thing is what we mean. And this is what I would most suggest, this is what I feel strongly on retreats. As that uh, clarity and um, brightness of faith grows, and the uh, uh, you know the ex- kind of excitement, the tendered excitement, the energy of everything being an exploration of uh, virya, and the um, and a widening of the mind of patience, the up makes everything seem so bare bones, and it's, and, and it's enough. It feels like there's no lack of anything. And it's all the more into seeing the nature of the moment than everything else, even the kind of minor, not really uh, hindering you know, attachments of comfort and things that we like around us, become a distraction when we get really focused. And we see it without judgment, without missing it setting it aside when I was sitting in New Zealand at one point I asked the people who were supplying food to cut it by a third and then I asked them to cut it down even more and uh, and I didn't need as much heat you know from the fire and it's just, the body acclimates opens up and just feels content with it as it is I read a letter from a monk that I got recently. A monk named U, someone He's He's uh, just he turned 21 in July. And I've I've known him since his adolescence. He's, been, he's sort of like a um, we call in Hawaii hanai son, adopted son, and, and he, he he lived with us during high school summers. Christmas, and then, after uh, high school he he traveled uh, for a while in Asia, and volunteering here and there and and then came back to Hawaii <clears throat> and then he went to school for uh up in Vermont for I think a year and a half year and a half, two years, and studying majoring in uh, Burmese Buddhism and world conservation what's possible these days (laughs) and and so he went off for a period of time where he thought he would be able to do some of his conservation practicum in Burma and had permission to do it but he was going to ordain for a short period of time and (laughs) he's still ordained (laughs) spending a whole year in robes there so uh, he's a graduate of the young adult retreats that we've been teaching here for many years. Uh, And the first paragraph here refers to uh, Sayadaw Ulakana, who is the Sayadaw where we we teach the retreat in Burma every January with. Uh, We do this fusion retreat, classical lineage, tradition, and the the contemporary blend. Uh, And Sayadaw recently had a a near fatal heart condition Uh, and, and he's it came out fine so this is his letter he says if you didn't get the pictures from saida ulakana's heart surgery which i did you should see them the before and after pictures of the artery look like the difference between halava stream halava streams is this little stream on the land on the big island where we're building a retreat center small you know like this the difference between halava stream and the irrawaddy just the 12th largest in the world. (laughs) Um, And uh, because the picture showed how close, how narrow his artery was and how about, you know, the cardial uh, arrest that was about to happen. And then they, after they repaired it with the angioplastic surgery, and it was big and flowing again, like the Irrawaddy river in Burma, which reminds me of the urgency of what I'm, setting out on now this he wrote this just before he was into the rains retreat that uh, began a month or so ago i am reveling in the peaceful purity of the robes and feeling support from all around here and back home you know all of us i don't really feel like i'm yearning for many things sometimes i think of cheese or sushi our waves at the point point is where we live in Hawaii and he became a good surfer I'm convinced that nothing but nothing is going to do it even the most intoxicatingly wonderful things I have met have not so I so want my freedom these gifts of, uh, of faith, or confidence, of courage, strength of heart, of patience, the power of acceptance, and of, of letting go, of knowing really what our heart yearns for, yearning for, and being really aware of the distractions. If we're really aware of the difference between the distraction and what we yearn for it just becomes obvious we don't it's not a fight we really don't have to relinquish the things we really cherish all we need to do is measure them up measure them up against what we're really here for and feel and get connection get connected with the deepest purest desire there's many kinds of desire and they're not all hindering, hindering kinds some are very liberating so this deep yearning that uh, who Samanasari is talking about for liberation, when we just hold that up against whatever immediate distractions appear, there really is no force in letting go. It just happens. Our, our energy just realigns because of our commitment, our love for truth. And we just go in that direction. What we're doing here is entering into a rain, just the same as entering into a rains retreat at a monastery. It's been happening for two and a half thousand years. And right today, there are hundreds of thousands of nuns and monks in rains retreats all over the world, mostly in Asia, but all over the world, doing what we're doing. You know, when you make your dedication for your practice to all beings, hold them in mind, because they're holding you in mind. I'll just close with this. It's an 11th century Japanese poem. What is it that dwelleth here? I know not. Yet my heart is full of awe and the tears trickle down. What is it that dwelleth here? I know not. Yet my heart is full of awe and the tears trickle down. Let's sit a moment. Your your only task is to be in the present moment. We'll take care of everything else.